let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions, and we're back in your ears once again. The beer is in the glass, and Martin, can you believe it? This is our 150th episode of Opinions. No, because the 100th doesn't seem that long ago, mate. I know. We, well, we rushed through the last 50, didn't we? Because we we, we had that brief spell of, of, of doing weekly shows. But yeah, 150 episodes. So and another another landmark for us. 150. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. No intention of stopping on our part. We're going to be going to 200 at least. No, no chance of our OCD allowing us not to do that. Oh, mate, I've already got the spreadsheet planning the 200th episode. <laughs> Don't you worry. <laughs> Of course you have, spreadsheet key. Um, but to celebrate our 150th uh, show, we're not alone. Um, we have Robert Lindsay from Six Degrees North. Welcome, Robert. How are you doing, fellas? Not too bad. Pleasure to, pleasure to have you here. And we have a beer in the glass already. I can't wait to get into this beer. Shall we dive in first and then let Robert introduce it? Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Uh, Robert, perhaps you'd like to share with the listeners what beer we're drinking while me and Steve sit back and drink it. I first moved to Belgium in the late 90s and uh, really got ensconced in a huge amount of beer style and product that was available there. But if any of the listeners are, are that old, they'll remember back in the late 90s, there wasn't much kicking about in the UK that was worth drinking. And uh, when you went abroad and travelled to Belgium and I was living there and working there, it was just a huge eye-opener. And uh, when we, you know, many, a number of years later, we we'll go back to Scotland and sort of figure out what we're going to call our brewery. And uh, we're sitting this this centre of world brewing somewhere in Belgium, Brussels. Well, we are six degrees north of that. So we were always uh, born from the belief that, you know, true passion, skill and diversity in product had originally come out of Belgium. Many other countries have obviously had huge histories and depth of product throughout their times, but Belgium really had held on to that and it's still part of their culture. So one of the first beers I ever drank over in Belgium was uh, as a tourist in the Grand Place and you go and sit in the outdoors cafe and uh, you, 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 take, you take out a mortgage and then you buy a beer. And, uh, <laughs> but back then it would have been a a Who Garden or something like that that you would have bought. And uh, Who Garden had a very interesting story. And it was a uh, Who Garden's really a place or uh, town, as many breweries are named after the towns that they're from. And uh, Pierre Sellis had uh, reinvented the white beer, uh, the wheat beer, uh, the, the beer blanche, if you like, the wheat beer. And uh, he'd taken the style back in sort of uh, late 70s and early 80s and taken it back to forward. Not died out, but it wasn't really. Brewed greatly, and in the UK, you know, we we know Whole Garden. It's not as uh, readily available now as it maybe was maybe fifteen years ago. Uh, with the growth of you know, quality beers within our own market, but uh, Whole Garden was certainly there as a quality Belgian wheat beer, and it still is. It's still basically the benchmark uh, that most people would uh, sort of judge a Belgian wheat beer against. And so we went out to you know, create one of those styles setting up a brewery that was going to brew Belgian-style beer back in 2013 and uh, when we first started. And it was a beer, it was the, the first beer that we ever actually brewed. Uh, Wonderlust, 
from you know, the name bears one verse, 4.6 ABV, very, very low in bitterness, which is uh, how you imagine for the style, and uh, really all been driven by the, the, the yeast and the various adjuncts and spices that are, that are put into a, a, a Belgian wheat beer. And so we named it Wonderlust from the, the Wonderlust for travelling and uh, from uh, you know, my experiences of living and working abroad and coming back in the north, you are very wonderlust for those early naive days of discovering all these different styles of beers throughout the country and travelling about it and really enjoying it and uh, you know, bringing that information and style back to, to Scotland when I moved back. Uh, I said, one last uh, wheat beers, by definition, they have to have at least 40% uh, wheat malt in it. Uh, we tend to use uh, pure uh, torrefied wheat nowadays. I think when we started, we probably had a bit of malt and a bit of torrefied wheat, uh, but it's, it's 40% torrefied now. And then other malt is 60% just base Pilsner malt. Uh, we don't use any ale malts or sort of more British type cell malts. We uh, tend to use purely Pilsner, keeping it very, very light, uh, giving ourselves you know, a reasonably uh, a complex sugar base out that the yeast can work on. We use a, a traditional Belgian wheat beer yeast, uh, which will work really well in the sugars. So eat up most of those. We'll probably leave you with about uh, four gravity points left, or four smarties, as I like to call them. And, uh, and that's all that's left in the beer. So it should be a very thin, refreshing product. Really ideal for you know, a lovely warm summer's day, uh, sitting out by the barbecue or or eating your mussels down the beach or whatever it is. And it's just a, a, a cracking product for that sort of thing. Uh, we brew it in a very traditional manner. Uh, we don't, you know, like I say, it's, it's not hopped in any, it is slightly hopped as far as balancing the bitterness, but there's no aroma hops in it at all. That's left to the two main adjuncts, which would be coriander and kuruku orange. Uh, we have cut the traditional kuruku orange out of it now altogether, and we've really used uh, some base fresh fruits. So we would have a, a pink grapefruit, lemon and lime in there now, and that would be fresh fruit that's added into a copper at the end of the, end of the boil to maintain that. I find that often the, the commercial kuruku orange that you can buy is dried and it's quite pithy and it almost gives a plastic sort of background to it. So I prefer the fresh fruit with it. And so it ends up being a lovely, lively beer, uh, full of flavour, full of spice, uh, coriander, uh, I'd say that this sort of orange, zesty, fruity background. But yeast also gives it a really citrus, sort of lemony type of finish. And that's the, the style of the yeast. It would have originally been a wild yeast so it produces a reasonably low acidity within the product, and uh, so it gives it that sort of freshness and, and lift to it, if you like. It's, um, I mean, lemony is overriding the aroma and flavour for me, I have to admit, with that bit of grapefruit in the background. Um, really interesting to hear you say about the, the fruit additions as well. I, I, I wouldn't have had any idea you did that. Um, but it's, it is so refreshing on a warm day. I think well, this is certainly my first beer of the day. You, you Steve? Yeah, I, I went out for a, a ride after work 
tonight as well. And uh, this would have been perfect once I'd got back from that, just just to quench my thirst. I mean, it's doing the job now, uh, a couple of hours on. But yeah, it's, it is so refreshing. And as, as you say, Robert, it's, it's, it's very, very light. And, and you just have this wonderful finish on of, of it. So, excuse us, this is something you'll hear a lot from us tonight, probably. It's, it's very Belgian-y. Um, it has got all of those Belgian-y characteristics, um, but the, the, the finish is so well-balanced that it, it, it refreshes you, but at the same time makes you want to drink more of it as, as, as well. I mean, the, the beer shouldn't be slamming in the face and give you any huge, you know, massive yeast... Uh, a characteristic, a massive coriander characteristic, a massive fruit characteristic, it should be balanced. You know, it is It is for, uh, in Belgium, it would be drunk as an everyday drink. It's something you drink for lunch. It's, uh, dare I say, it's something you may drink for breakfast. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that's there that's just meant to be nice and easy. It's not meant to challenge you. You're meant to be able to drink it, not get over-inebriated. You know, it's if people will cook with it in their muscles, they'll steam fish with it, all that sort of stuff. It's to accompany things, it's to enjoy the day with, and it's not to get stronger. So it should be really, really well balanced. You know? I mean, this bit, this beer, I, I would echo what Steve said. I reckon a few minutes after getting off the bike on a hot, hot day, a bit dusty, a bit dry. Yeah, it's perfect for that. I mean, this it, is going to go in five minutes. Yes, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we all we all like to experience new things, and uh, especially in this uh, Fast moving craft beer world, and I imagine a lot of people who listen to this episode, you know, will be the people that are wanting to try the next product, try the next brewery, try the next thing. And often, you, even as a producer and owner, uh, if a person who loves his product, how often do I go back and drink a Wonderlust now, you know? But a few, not a few times, but the time that I'll finish outside our pub in St. Haven, lovely, beautiful day in the Harbour Wall, and I'll have a, 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 get a Wonderlust half off the draft and it's like oh, that's why I it. it's, just, it's just great for that it's wonderful so how old is this beer now uh, this particular one in the bottle no it's uh, we, we designed the we designed let's say our first beer uh, we did all our all our trial brews all the various beers they want to make it in styles I tended to focus on style initially uh, so we would do a wonder lost uh, the wheat beer one that lost a saison, which at that time was called Four Saisons, which is now called Brevet. And uh, then we would do a hot classic, which would be like a modern Belgian IPA, if you like. We did the, the stout as well, which is a bit like a Hercule stout. And then we would do, you know, we started barrel aging with that in 2013 as well. So we, you know, we were trying to cover off all the various styles that were there. Now, you know, as breweries evolve, everybody wants to challenge themselves and do different things, you know, and then we reflect a lot of the, I suppose, the modern beer scene within the UK as well. But we still stay close to our roots with our, a lot of our, our core products, such as Wonderlust and Hot Classic and our Brevet. Uh, Brevet's a long-distance cycle and a uh, French term. And, uh, you know, it's uh, we just, we, we love to brew in, in those styles. So we designed the beers back probably 2012, there thereabouts, when we were doing all the development and little tasting panels and, that was uh, that was lots of fun. It's when uh, you know when we were brewing beer, not to be a business, but just to be people who loved the product and uh, wanted to you know take a glass, drink it, say you've made it, share it with friends, and that had always been what I'd wanted to do when I came back from Belgium. I didn't want to just open the brewery. That's why it took me quite a number of years to get the brewery, uh, and I had 
a restaurant before that, then I had a restaurant and bar and hotel. And because it was really important to serve the product to people and be part of culture and not just to make a beer, put it in the box and send it away. And for me, it was always very important to go from designing and making the product all the way to someone actually drinking it and sitting there in an environment uh, with food, with friends, and enjoying that overall cultural experience. So did your beers ever make their way to the restaurant you had as well? Yes. Uh, well, no, I don't think. Well, we've, we've evolved it. Um, we started with the restaurant in 2002, and uh, I was there for about 10 years. In that interim, five years through that, uh, we got a local hotel, bar and restaurant, all the, in the same building, uh, a few miles down in our, in our hometown. And we still have that to this day. Uh, with the restaurant, it uh, it was sold after a number of years because it was, you know, it's like the first baby. And if you're not spending all the time there, then uh, you sort of feel that you're not uh, giving it everything that you used to. So it, uh, it sort of it bore very heavy, heavy on the shoulders for life eventually. And uh, it was given somebody else to love. So what was the um, what was the moment when you was in Belgium that you thought, you know what, I need to move back to the UK and open a brewery? It was just a bit of time, really. Uh, there for about three odd years, and uh, started you know, getting a little bit of bored with what, what I was doing. I'd uh, travelled around all of Belgium. I'd been to all the neighbouring countries. Uh, I'd been, you know, going further and further afield and in, in search of different beers, different breweries. With uh, being across the the width and breadth of Belgium, from uh, the, the the province of Luxembourg, you know, to Brussels, uh, Limburg, uh, the Flanders. Uh, the Ardennes, uh, everywhere from the Brussels city and things. And, and it was just a, a whole cultural experience of taking it in. I'd uh, been lucky enough to meet up with, I mean, home brewing just wasn't a thing then because uh, back in 2000, why would you? You had all these beers that were very, very readily accessible, huge variety of styles at a very, very affordable price. So why would anybody go at home, you know? And I eventually found uh, a guy who was going to teach a local community and I got involved with that. And uh, we ended up uh, you know, just brewing some really, really top quality beer out of a 200 litre kit. And uh, it was like, well, well, we can actually do this. It's possible, you know. And uh, from there, the, uh, that sparked my interest in educating myself in, uh, in brewing. And then uh, obviously with the eventual goal to, uh, was, it, was it to brew on a commercial scale? I think it probably was, but uh, you know, it was never viewed as something I really wanted to make money from the brewing side. It was just really a passion for that. And uh, other parts of my life would provide the income to live if you like. What was it about, in, in, in particular, the, the, the Belgian style of beers? Was it, was it just that there was such a, a wide range of different styles available that really attracted you to that and, and made you say, yes, I, I want to be inspired by this sort of beer? For me, it was from coming from Scotland, DSA, the UK, back in 1999. And in Scotland, it would have been tenants. Down in England, it would have been Carling or Carlsberg. Whereas you went to Belgium and the, you know, they used a close fermenter. They, uh, they used really, really interesting products and malts and pots and spices and there were so many different styles. Even more than that, it was part of their culture. And uh, that was something totally new. 
and from what we had in the UK. And I'm not saying that we don't have a beer culture, we didn't have a beer culture, but we didn't have it accessible at a at all levels, realistically. It wasn't part of almost everybody's daily life. Do you think that, um, because you're north of the border, and obviously the real ale side of things was definitely more prevalent down south of the border, do you think that also impacted your view of the UK beer scene as well? I think so. I mean, I, I was very aware of uh, you know, real ale and where it was, but you know, what we had up here was jukers, you know. Uh, you might have had... Uh, you know, bitter and twisted and things like that that were sort of being slowly introduced at that sort of time. But there wasn't a lot, you know. We were, we were, you know, 15, 15 odd breweries probably uh, back in that sort of time. There just wasn't really a lot being produced. And then uh, you would see Landlord everywhere because they'd done their marketing over many, many years. Uh, you'd see Jukers and uh, you'd see some of, the, some of the newer breweries, but they were all just producing real ale. And we just didn't have a huge amount of it. Were you were you ever worried that setting up a, a, a brewery to kind of specialise in some some styles that had maybe never been seen in in the UK before? Were you worried that the, the market wasn't going to take to that? Has it? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I think we're in a place where I, I think you mentioned it earlier. People are always striving after the new. Aren't, aren't they rather than just finding a really good beer that they can return to but I, I, I think 10, 10 years ago almost 10 years ago as, as you say the, the tide was just beginning to turn and, and we were just beginning to see you, you know IPAs were just becoming a thing and at, at that time there's there, there's you setting up a brewery saying right the, we're, we're going to produce Belgian style beers for, for people yeah. to try. It, it was interesting I mean we were if we if we take Brewdog as a timeline, two thousand and seven, they're thereabouts, and they're obviously our, our noisy neighbours up the road, and uh, and you know they, they they started very small once upon a time, and then we were probably about as you say, you know the best part of uh, seven eight years behind where they were. If we had uh, started back in two thousand and two when I actually wanted to do it, there probably wouldn't have been a hope in hell of there being any commercial. Uh, viability of our product at all, uh, and you know every other year since I remember since we started brewing, everybody writes their end of year diaries, and they're all going on that next year it's going to be saison, or well the next year it's going to be a uh, you know, uh, Belgian something, or it's it's always said it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be. Uh, but you know the UK craft beer scene has evolved in its own way now, and it's and it's found its own direction. And whilst the products that we had traditionally brewed are accepted, they are dabbled with, they are drunk, they are bought. It's probably not the type of product that you buy every single day. And uh, you know, and if I'm talking, you know, probably in the main to the people who'll be listening to. To this broadcast, you know, how often are you going out and buying a season every other day? You know, is that the beer that you keep back the fridge because you're going to drink? Is the one last week something there that you're going to put in the back of the fridge because you're going to drink? It's probably not. Uh, so you are you are buying these products every so often out of interest. You will enjoy them, and uh, you may well go back to them on the odd occasion. But it's not something you're buying any great volume of, and uh, so that's really so you know. A brewery like ours, who was focusing purely on 
Belgian styles has really had to evolve if we were going to grow and create opportunity for our, our staff, if you like, and, and the business to grow. While you've been telling us everything about your, your background and stuff, me and Steve have managed to crush the Wanderlust <laughs> and, only, op- and, it, and open the Hot Classic as well. <laughs> it was only a 3.30 after all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any final thoughts on the uh, Wanderlust, Steve? I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I wouldn't normally go for a wheat beer. It, it, it's not one of the styles I generally tend to go for, um, but I did actually really enjoy that. I, I, I enjoyed all of the coming together of the various elements in, in into producing what is just a very, very light, drinkable, refreshing beer. About yourself, mate? Nothing else to add on that. It was really, really easy to drink. I'm more of a fan of the wheat beers than you are. But I had to admit, the last couple of years, I've definitely veered more towards the Belgium style of wheat beers or white beers than the uh, German style. I think it's just a, a more lightness about the Belgian beers and you don't get so much of the uh, banana elements coming through as well. Uh, but as I said, we've opened the Hot Classic already. Belgian IPA. Um, what, what's, the, uh, what's the background behind this one? Again, it's a fairly classic or new. Is it probably a new, ver- new classic? Is that a better way of saying it? Yeah, so you, you would uh, certainly put it in a new style for a Belgian beer. Uh, I, so back in 1999, moved to Belgium, sat in the Grand Place drinking wheat beer, being a tourist. Uh, finally found my flat in, uh, about 15, 20 kilometres outside of Brussels. Went to a local uh, cafe there, ordered a Rodenbach from the menu. Uh, very swiftly spat that back out immediately, as that was just absolutely disgusting. And uh, but it's obviously you know once you've educated yourself and the palate has come round, it's an absolutely classic and beautiful beer. Uh, but then you know you start to do your tours thing. They were having an open doors day, so companies were inviting uh, the public into their, their businesses. And uh, I happened upon Durant Brewery and went in there, and uh, you were offered an XX bitter, and this just changed changed the perspective of what beer was. Now, if you'd put an XX bitter, um, I know we've touched on that uh, Scotland didn't really have a huge real ale scene like uh, England might have, but you know, I still defy you to have put this lovely, cold 6.2, I can't remember exactly, but it's just over 6% complex product next to a reasonably warm real ale, and I would have almost defied anybody to say that they were even in the same league. And it just really blew my mind away as the complexities with it. And I brought bought a lot of this beer and just sat and drank it over the next few weeks, searched out the local uh, beer shops in Brussels that were specialising in you know, some of the smaller, more startup breweries that were around. And uh, it was just, it was just it was awesome. You know, people would come and visit, they have to drink this, they have to drink this. Have to search out, and it's just really in a class of its own. And this would have probably been the first Belgian classic IPA film. And uh, now there are quite a number of other products that are brewed in a similar vein. You know, especially you've got brews like Dillasen, for instance. And uh, it was always a comforting thing when Dillasen uh, started their uh, brewing. I said, "Oh, really like this product, theirs." And then eventually went and saw them, had a chat with them, and where did they learn to brew, and where did the contract brewed initially? It was out of uh, Duranka, so it was, it was good to see the palate followed things without knowing the history. 
Uh, but this product was just amazing. It was awesome. And it was top classic. It's the beer that I always wanted to brew. It was the beer that I had really first discovered the love of beer with, and that was XX Bitter. So in theory, this was a, a, a sort of homage to that product. Uh, you know, it took me a, a lot of research, a lot of uh, chatting to various people, a lot of visits to the brewery. And, uh, you know, just really, really studied and broke down the process, the product, and what they were doing with this beer. Now, Hot Classic is unique. It is its own product. It's not a direct clone of XX Bitter. It has our own uh, stamp on it. And I mean, I'm, and I'm very proud of it because of that. But even to this day, uh, you know, when our next beer will be doing a Quebec or however we, however we pronounce that lovely Norwegian yeast. Uh, but, you know, we, you know, that that's a different product altogether. But we come back to this, and I'll just, you know, I can eulogize about it for hours and hours and hours. And I just, uh, it's a classic Belgian beer. You know, it's very simple, but yet very complex. It's all about yeast profile. It's all about the, the malts and having a complex sugar base. You can have something that's, you know, really well attenuated, really drinkable, and then allows... What nowadays people would suggest is not a very complex uh, malt and or hot pill, but yet the way in which it's delivered through the, the actual product and being able to marry the very, very distinct yeast profile with a very, very simple malt pill and a very, very simple hot profile and have those come together in something that's complex, I think is what really typifies Good Belgian brewers and the skill that they have in the way in which they're trying to deliver the products. It, it sounds like you're you're very very proud of this beer and and and, and rightly so. Full full disclosure, I absolutely love this 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 beer. This is um the, the beer that kind of really for, for me this was the beer that I discovered your brewery with as 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 well, and I, I fell in love with it. And it it just works so well. Um, as, as as you say, the the, the flavours, everything is balanced. You've got this beautiful Belgininess sit, sitting in the middle there, and and then you do have this lovely dry bitterness on the on on the finish as well. So it's got all those all those wonderful characteristics that you look for in an IPA, but then you've got all this added complexity going on with all the the, the specialist yeast and everything else that's going on in there. I mean, there's a couple of interesting things about it when you actually drink it. And you, uh, and if you understand the way in which the beer is made, it, it again it, it only enhances, I think, the the complexity. Of it. There's only one hop in there, and it's delivered at seven different points throughout the actual brewing process, which allows it to really build up and layer really, really well through it. And it's Hallertau. You know, Hallertau doesn't have a great profile itself. It's a noble hop, you know. It's something that the, that the Belgians and Germans throw in their beer as an afterthought, you know. It, 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 it in a UK term, you know, or a, an American term, you know, it's almost an afterthought. But yet, it's there in its complexity. The malt bill, there is one malt in it. It's pills malt, and that's it. Nothing else. And then you've got one yeast strain. And uh, uh, I, you know, I, we, when we trialed the brews, and it's a different yeast strain from what Durant could use, but. Uh, you know, we trialled it and we brewed it with quite a number, and this was the one that just really hit the mark for us. And along with uh, the water profile that we have, mixing the yeast with the malt, 
the water profile and the simplicity of the hops, it just creates its own style. And it really defines the brewery style, if you like. So if we are brewing with this yeast, which would now be our house yeast, and we brew with that in quite a number of ports, you can, people can pour a beer, reason blind say, that's a six degrees north beer. And really, when we were doing all our sitting down and working out, doing our trial brews, while we're going to brew, you know, as a typical, I suppose, educated home brewer, you go away and you try and match the water profile to the region you were trying to do that. We did that with each of the beers. And we sort of said, well, what are we trying to do, you know? What, are we just, just trying to match styles or we, do we want to create a brewery that has its own style? And so really what we did was we, you know, we then randomised our own water, looked at what we had. You know, and there's a reason why Scotland brews the beer it does because it's got this beautiful soft water, you know. And uh, why don't we just stick with that? Why don't we use it? And so we don't actually uh, alter our water at all now. We just use lovely natural soft water. And that's mixed with the yeast, which... Uh, it's another interesting one. Uh, it's actually, you know, WLP 570, so it's a Duval yeast, effectively. And uh, Duval uh, yeast took its uh, journey with all the Scots over to Belgium when we were over uh, saving, helping them out during the war, sorry. I was going to say, that's a lovely synergy. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the background to Duval. Yes, and, and it is great. So, I mean, this yeast, you know, came out of McEwen's bottle. And was cultured by my Duval or the Moorgat Brewery at that point to just be for the Scotch troops. So they had something that was similar in profile to what they were doing. And it was obviously dark beers at that point, and there's probably five or six different yeasts in the bottle at the time. But this is the one that they've cultured and taken down. So effectively, we repatriated uh, the yeast back to, to Scotland, and that's our house yeast uh, now. But ultimately, we trialed the beers, we trialed them with various yeasts, and this is the one that we felt worked best. And it just so happens there's a decent story around it. In the last 10 years, obviously, you, you, you've set up a brewery and you've become very well established. How how was that journey for you? Was it was, was it plain sailing when, when you set out? And have, have you grown steadily over that time? We have. It was interesting. We, uh, we were fortunate enough to have our the, you know, the hotel, bar and restaurant. And uh, so we had somewhere to put beer with. We had customers that were very willing to try product uh you know we i was like i think most people of that either we were sitting there we had this romantic idea of where we should make beer how we should make beer and how that would look and uh, i probably spent the best part of five six years looking for the right premises to do that in unfortunately 144 steps from the back of the the pub uh, uh sort of an old uh, mill if you like came up and uh, we managed to purchase that and you know that gave us the, the perfect romantic place to brew beer in and then within six months we'd run out of space and had to move to a, a nondescript warehouse where we should have started seven years earlier and we'd have been a long way ahead of ourselves but uh, <laughs> that's the journey you go on you know you're romantic about it that's what you want to do and uh, so yeah it was uh, it was very interesting but we, we you know we had the bar uh, we then uh, opened the brewery in, in June and opened the brewery in June nah we put our first beer in in April and uh, April 30th, that's why, March the 30th, we put a first brew in, uh, in 2013. And then uh, we'd actually opened our first bar after the hotel bar that we'd got uh, in late June that year. It just so happened a, a building that we couldn't turn down, turned up, and we really put all our efforts into making what back in uh, 2012 was really a you know, quintessential 
uh, beer bar at that point. And there, I mean, there are quite a number of uh, Brewdog bars around. There are others starting to pop up here and there. Uh, but we put 24 taps on. We, you know, we probably put eight of our own beers on. Then we maybe had another eight of uh, Belgian products and then uh, sort of rotational lines we like from other brews around from there. We had, uh, at one point, we had a 300-strong Belgian beer list, you know. It was, uh, but uh, things have changed huge over that time and uh, in the last sort of eight years. And uh, how people are drinking beer, what products they're drinking, what styles they're drinking. And, uh, you know, the, the, you, you really have to adapt to that as, as time has gone on. We obviously opened another three bars after that. Uh, one in, uh, well, the first one was Aberdeen. Then we went to Glasgow, Edinburgh and uh, Dundee. And we've always maintained our sort of uh, our flagship, if you like, a brewery tap in Instant Haven, which is a, a hometown where we grew up. Where in, forgive my ignorance. So where is Stonehaven, say, in relation to, uh, is it close to, is it Aberdeen the closest? Aberdeen's the closest. I always find it quite funny, the difference between the south of the border and Scotland. You know, Scotland is a huge place, realistically. And it's, uh, it's always a bit like Stonehaven near Edinburgh, you keep getting that question. You know, and it's a bit like uh, a bit like going to Canada and you ask if you're just going down to the shops and you take a two-hour drive. But uh, it's uh, we are about 15, 20 miles south of Aberdeen uh, and in a lovely seaside uh, fishing village. And uh, it's just an uh, old fishing village, not so much now. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a lovely picturesque town. Uh, and you know, it's just it was where I was brought up, where I went to school, and uh, you know, it's just where we've got really, really good standing within the community. Uh, we organise a really <clears throat> large charitable beer festival up here with uh, quite a number of friends. And the reason it's it, you know it, it's part of the brewery in a way because uh, a lot of the the the, the employees will give the time uh, for free to help out and, and ensure that the beer festival uh, comes together. And, but it was really the sort of uh, brainchild of four or five friends, of which I was one of those uh, in St. Haven. And we've uh, created that over the past sort of uh, 11, 12 years, if you like. And uh, it's grown up to, you know, it's got about 6,000 of an audience over a long weekend. Uh, it's got a cycle sporty for 1,000 riders taking part. Uh, we've got about 120 beers on draft. Uh, breweries from all over England. Uh, we've had breweries from Belgium. Uh, Scotland as well, obviously, and uh, you know, and we've managed over the years to raise about one hundred eighty thousand pounds through that. So you know, it's we, we we like to think that we're part of the community. We've got a a lot of our employees have been with for a long time, and they've come from you know families within the community. People drink, they've gone in as dishwashers, on uh, to become chefs, and maybe still working with us now. So it's uh, it's a really really good tight knit community, and and it's what makes. Uh, you know the day-to-day work enjoyable it 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 sounds uh, amazing i mean i can just I can, I can literally just picture the place in in, in my head but it, it it's it's also great that like you say it's 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 a real legacy that you've built is isn't it because if it's it's the area you grew up and 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 now you're putting back into that area as well aren't you it is it's a you know, a double-edged sword as well because then you you have that commitment to your, your local community as well and uh you, you have to go in that very, very fine line between as just a person, you know, you, you've got, you've got a family, you've got a life, you've got your, I've got my bike as well. And, uh, you know, we, we've got our interests and, you know, we need to separate that. And uh, in a way that's uh, why my first sort of restaurant and bar 
had to be left behind because it was my child. It was part of me. And I had to, while still be part of the community and still enjoy that and still want to embrace it, I had to take a little bit of a step back just to allow myself and my person a little bit of time out with that. Uh, you know, you can, the, the, the beauty and the danger is that it can own you, you know, and uh, you have to find that balance, which is very, very fine. Well, we'll come back and talk a little bit more about that balance and some decisions you've had to make recently in terms of the business and moving it forward. But Martin, we've, we've really got to stop letting Robert do all the talking because once again, um, my beer's gone. I've, I've junked the hop classic. It's, it's, it's finished. It was absolutely delicious. And it was all I could do to, to drag it out as long as I could. Um, any final thoughts on, on the hop classic? It's so easy to drink. And I think the phrase that Robert said about keeping the beers balanced is very accurate in those first two beers. Because, you know, for a lot of people, especially at the start of their beer journey or when they're starting to discover new styles, certain Belgian beers could be maybe a bit overwhelming, a bit overpowering. Um, And those would still have those elements of it. But because of the balance and the finish, it does draw you in. Yeah, and I, I will, you know, listeners will know, I, I was one of those people. I I have been on a bit of a discovery in the last maybe two to three years now of of, of really beginning to enjoy Belgian beer. I, I wasn't a big fan prior to that. And um, I've really started to come around to it. And, and, and what I've discovered, I like and, and I want more of. And I think this, these, beer, these two beers, would, maybe if you discovered these type of beers earlier on, yeah, I think I think I was simply drinking the wrong beers. Yeah, this is where this is these two beers. I'm not going to use the the gateway word. They would be two very good beers to introduce someone to the world of Belgian style. Yeah, well, let's move on to the next beer because that's slightly different style wise than the two that we've previously had. So while we're pouring this into the glass, Robert, would you like to tell us what this next beer is? Well, it's. Uh... It's a New England IPA, really. Uh, you know, in its in all its format, it's uh, brewed with our, I, I, I would hope, typical balance. Uh, uh, New England IPAs are often, you know, they're going to be as by style, they're going to be reasonably sweet. You know, they're going to be creamy and cloudy, uh, but we always, you know, just put a little bit of uh, bittering hop into the back of it ever so slightly, just to try and balance out that little bit of sweetness, so it gives more of what we do as a brewery. Uh, it's a brewery uh, Quebec yeast, or however you wish to pronounce it. And, you know, it's a New England IPA in all essence. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's reasonably low in ABV for that. You know, it's not a, you know, a triple IPA by any sense. It would just be a standard sort of ABV for it. Uh, cloudy. Uh, the, 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 the hot base, you know, it's... Uh, I see we've got a little bit of uh, magnum in there just to do the very, very base, just to help uh, balance out the bitterness. And then uh, we will <clears throat> take that into, you know, into a whirlpool with the sort of uh, mostly citra and mosaic and then uh, into the FV for dry hopping uh, for the citrus mosaic and uh, El Dorado. And, uh, you know, it's it was our, I suppose, our, it wasn't our first New England IPA. We'd brewed a number previously. We'd brewed a, uh, 
with track. Uh, we'd also done with uh, one with Wylam as well, uh, and you know we'd we, we'd you know, we'd brewed the style, but we hadn't really done it within our own portfolio. And you know during lockdown, it gives you a lot of time to think. You know, there's uh, not that much business to be had. Uh, we'd uh, unfortunately had to furlough the majority of our staff, which uh, left a, a few of us running around like uh, blue ash flies, day I say, just uh, really running, delivering beer, turning the business upside down overnight, taking it off a keg, putting it into at that point, which was bottle, and uh, and then sort of slowly going towards, well, what we're going to do, people are wanting new beer, they're wanting different things, so as we were seeing, as you you get a lot more in touch with your customer base over this last year. You know, you've had them on a direct mailing list. You've had them in your inbox. You've had them ordering from you. They haven't just been standing on the other side of the bar, taking a beer and going away and sitting with their friends. And yeah, you get feedback. You get uh, you get to know what your customer wants. You know what you want to provide. But, you know, we've really got, as a lot of brewers did, a really good in-depth uh, look at what the, the market was, was looking for out there. And, and we quite literally had to compete within that market. If we didn't, we wouldn't have survived the last year. And so we had to look at uh, brewing new, different products from what we'd done previously so that we could reach out to us basically different customer bases, if you like, which would allow us to survive. You know, the furlough scheme was there, but it didn't pay the mortgage. It didn't pay, you know, the, the businesses' loans. It didn't pay... The parts of you know, didn't pay rates, didn't pay electricity bills, didn't pay rent, and it uh, certainly didn't pay the parts of people's wages that furlough didn't cover. And so, you know, you had to go out there and you had to search for every possible uh, piece of business you could get just to survive and uh, keep the people that were with you employed. So this is a bit like that. And uh, the beer's called We're Not All In This Together. And uh, now that I've had my... Uh, I rant about uh, all, all the stuff we've had to cover in the last year. We are not all in this together. I suppose it's a bit of a departure name-wise for things like that. We'd uh, used, you know, pop classics, Wonderlusts, things like Peloton or Omnium or Brevet, uh, fairly short uh, naming things that had a little bit of meaning behind them. Uh, but we are all not all in this together. It all seems a bit uh, too trendy for us, if you like, yes. And New England IPA, Quebec Yeast, long name that means nothing. But uh, we were brewing it and we were searching for a, a name to call it. And uh, our, our government had decided that instead of uh, changing the, the, the tiers that we were in at that time and allowing us to open our bars, they would actually go on a two-week recess and have their holidays. And uh, so at this point, you know, I'm not criticising what the government or the Scottish government has done for us as a nation over the last year. It's a fairly tough job, I think, uh, to have. But at that point, when they took their two-week holiday, and I can't remember the last time I'd had a day off, it really seemed like we were not all in this together. And hence the name was born. Uh, so, you know, for me, it's a, uh, you know, I've grown to love this style. You know, I've been to all the beer festivals, I've chatted to all the brewers, I've started drinking this type of product quite a number of years ago. And, you know, like everything, palates evolve. I mentioned earlier, I hated that Rodenbach, the very first one that I drank, you know, and now oh, a good old Flemish red, just brilliant, can't take me away from it, you know. And when I first started, I suppose, drinking restyles uh, many years ago, uh, it was like, well, I'm not sure, you know, that's a bit sweet, it's lacking a bit of complexity, possibly. Ah, the hops are all right in it, but 
you know, brewers and the skills have evolved over that period of time. You know, there are quite a number of others like we will do that have started to put a wee bit of bitting hopping at the bottom of that just to balance out a wee bit, take a wee bit of that cloying sweetness back. And, you know, and, and, and the, the hops have improved, you know, the availability, the turnover of that hops. People are using things that are a lot fresher than they would have been previously. And that's the, you know, you can get a good product out of it. And dare I say, your tastes contain cycle, your palate evolves, you know, and uh, you end up with making products like this. And, you know, we've got a, we've got a triple IPA in just now, uh, which will get dry hop God knows how many times. Uh, and and we've, we're now on to our, this was our first iteration of it, but we're now on to our, our, just about to do our fourth iteration of this with different hops. Uh, very few of them will be single hop, uh, but, you know, we, we tend to try and play with it, tend to blend it a bit. And you know, and try and search for that balance, where it's often a single hop and just be, you know, a little bit rough around the edges, if you like. Yeah. But I suppose it was us entering or coming along with the rest of the craft beer wave, if you like. Uh, we'd got in, I suppose, reasonably early doers and had done our own styles. Uh, but you know, it was almost a needs must thing. You know, we 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 brewed styles like this in collaborations with other brewers, like I mentioned earlier, and. They were great fun. They were really good styles to brew, good styles to learn, and uh, and and we really enjoyed them. And people would drink them in our bars, and our staff would love them. And it was great to to brew the beers. But now, with the change in our customer base over the last year, and the fact that we were, you know, people were buying local, delivering direct, we had to broaden our base or not have customers. I think you've made some really interesting points there, but I'm I'm very curious to know what Steve thinks of the New England IPA. Our listeners will know that this is far from my preferred or favourite style. Um, I wouldn't ever necessarily choose to drink one if 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 I was in a, a bar. But um, what what you've produced here is uh, a beer that's got the characteristics of, of a New England IPA. So, you know, by the look and the aroma, it's 100 percent. There's a little bit of sweetness on the nose. Uh, the initial taste, it's really soft. It's pillowy. Um, and then you do start to pick up some soft tropical notes. Uh, there's a little bit of a sort of like a mixed fruit squash going in on in there. Uh, again, really well balanced towards the finish. And then you do just pick up the slightest little hint of bitterness, which which for me brings it back round to being a beer that I'd probably drink again. Um, because one one of the things that I don't like about New England IPAs is the lack of bitterness i i want i want my beer to give me an experience like i'm actually drinking something and and i'm not just drinking fruit juice and and that's that's what this does now i don't know whether it's got something to do with the gvike yeast or or, or not because i've had a few beers now with, with with that in and it seems to be this little magical ingredient that does something to flavors and just softens them and just balances everything out there's there's really something quite special with that yeast. I think it, it works very well. I mean, we've uh, what have we done now? We've probably done six or eight brews with it, uh, but we've also started to use it in a blend with other uh, yeasts as well for doing other products. Uh, and and it's very very interesting. Uh, this one would have been a good old Voss, if you like, which is probably one of the more popular and popular and available ones that there is in the market. Uh, but we we did temper its temperature so we didn't allow it to go too far, if you like. 
Uh, so we, we kept that bits in check. It was just sort of early thirties we allowed it to go to, uh, and it, I think we also thought about its general characteristics. It tends to do a producer for an orangey type background and that sort of thing. So we tended not to use hops that had a lot of orange type things in it that would come through, so that we could create a balance and a mix within that and use the yeast as you know part of the flavour and part of that juicy profile that you're getting out of it uh, and again it's a balanced product it, it's, it's there to be drunk and it should again if you have too much hops in the product even the modern styled massive pillow juice bombshell how many of that can you take in the background you know how after you've had two of those and i'm only talking two halves do you really want another one you know it's uh whereas this i think you can drink quite a number of it. Uh, as you say, it's got that bit of balance and the ever such slight bitterness just at the end of it, which uh, it, it gives you a more traditional beer, if you like. Yes, it's more of what a mind would expect. And uh, yeah, for me, that was how, that's how we set out about it and developing it. We didn't just work. We, we could have just produced something that's very hazy, Given it a neutral American yeast and then dumped heaps of hops in the fermenter and just watched the powdered notes fly out the door, you know. Uh, instead, we, we tried to do something that was true and honest to what we did in a good balance. It works. You know, uh, Steve was very eloquent about what he said about it. I think it's a really nice meld of the Kvike yeast, the New England fruitiness, and there is just a bit of dry piffiness towards the end. And like Steve says, I think not only does that balance it out, it draws you back in again for that second sip, that third sip. And yes, I could I could see me drinking more of this. I could see myself opening another can. A few cans would probably up the ante for me, given it's what, five, seven, five, eight, somewhere around that. It's still very low in Belgian terms. I mean, Belgian terms, <laughs> yes. I mean, obviously, when I'm in Belgium, I never fall over after drinking their beers. But back in the UK, I, you know, put me on my ass. <laughs> uh, but for some reason, when abroad, there is a different gravitational system going on. I have not quite worked out what it is, but it does seem to occur. <laughs> I'd, I'd agree with that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very easy to drink. It was pleasing to see it not being too full and thick when we poured it into the glass. I think me and Steve both appreciated that. Um, yeah, I think you can it, just go too far with that, you know. Yeah, but it's got a lovely fruity aroma. I think the aroma would, you know, on a blind tasting, I think that aroma would definitely get people's New England IPA senses going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, no, it's, it's really, really quite refreshing as as, yeah. as well. And, and to be fair to this beer, it is, uh, you know, we, we we're trying to brew this in fairly small quantities, so it'll turn over quickly, which is what you need to do with this type of product. And you've probably got uh, the the last uh, two that is available of this we were just uh, coming to the end of this run we hadn't quite packaged the, the next one uh, so you know to be fair to it it's probably the hops probably dropped ever so slightly off of the aroma side of it but uh, I mean just a little bit and that's another really good reason to have a, a little bit of bitten hopping behind it because if you do you know how long is it going to sell a beer especially in the current environment you just don't know you know so you have to have a little bit of balance in there. Whereas if you've got some of the products out there that are stuffed full of uh, hop and have to be drunk at a certain, you know, within a certain week or two, then it it, it it doesn't become realistic for a lot of movies. Maybe 
don't quite have the hype and maybe don't quite have the turnover of that. So they have to adapt to that and produce something that's going to stand up a little bit more over time. Just want to say the carbonation on this is excellent compared to some thicker, juicier New England IPAs. The head on this is really rather nice. And the carbonation yeah, is yeah. nice and gentle. It's almost champagne yeast like going through it. Yeah. One thing that's interesting with Harbury, we don't filter anything. And you know, we obviously wouldn't be filtering this beer, but uh, we also naturally carbonate everything. There's no forced carbonation anything, there's no bright beer tanks, nothing like that. So uh, the carbonation you have in your can. Uh, in your glass is the carbonation that we generated during fermentation. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, and we've always done that. And uh, I believe it, it, it just, it, it rounds off your product very, very well. And if you force carbonate, you get, you just, it, it's different. You know, it's different. The, the, the tension of CO2 is totally different and it gives you a different mouthfeel. And, you know, and CO2 has flavour at the end of the day. And, uh, this is created by by our beer. I mean, it's the first of the 440 cans, um, but I'm still in danger of evaporating, I have to admit. So, same here. We, we, should, we, we should probably crack on to, to this week's question. Opinions, 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 opinions. Which was uh, based on the topic of cans and sizes and basically asked the question, bigger beers in smaller cans. Now, I think this was a ball that was started rolling a couple of shows back when we had Combi on from Round Corner, who was advocating putting big beers in small cans. And obviously with Six Degrees North recently moving into canned goods and actually having a bit of a mixture of 330s and 440s. We thought tonight would be the ideal opportunity to talk about this particular subject. So, yep, the question was bigger beers in smaller cans. Um, we had 334 votes on this. 74.6% of people said yes, please. 25.4% of people said nope, bigger the better. So first comment, chicken dipper at Graham Salander. It really doesn't matter to me at all. There's a perfect moment for any beer, whatever the size. You need to plan ahead a little bit more for a 440 of a 13% stout, but it's hardly a chore. From Carsmile Steve at Carsmile Steve, fine as long as you've got someone to share with. As the only beer drinker in the house, 440 of a big beer is a bit too much. From Bob Maxfield at Bob Maxfield, think bigger beers and smaller can is a safer alternative and responsible. But personally, I like the 440 milliliters cans. It's just easier to share with my drinking buddy. Sarah Maxfield. From the Owl Lady at the Owl Lady. Yes, yes, all the yes on drinking nights. I like to have a few beers, but for me, more than two over 6% for 40s is a killer. From JT at Owl and Metal. It's topsy turvy when an impy or a dipper is in a 440, yet a 3 to 5% is in a 330. But for me, I seldom buy 330s as I just drink them too quick. So I end up consuming more overall, whereas I take my time with larger cans. And then from Stu McKinley at Glidub, 100% our vibe right now. All specials in 330 so that they cost less than your lunch or almost less. Guess it depends where you're buying lunch, Steve. I imagine Stuart. so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, from Round Corner Brewing Limited, surprisingly, as we spend... 8.5% of our time on podcasts lobbying for Imperials and 330s. We love this topic. Uh, to be fair, we thought you might do combi. Yeah, well, they did start this topic as well. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Goggles at Dr. Underscore Goggles. Yes, for sure. Also keeps the price a bit more manageable too. 
from Beer and Beano at Graham Dean. I'm torn. I like a big beer and I like lots of it, but I do understand it's far more sensible to have smaller cans. Smaller beers and 330 milliliters max of beers tried to sting me for two cans, though. From Mr. Beer Nouveau at Mr. Beer Nouveau. And we know, Steve, you're hiding yourself with your new Twitter handle yeah. there. Um, I missed this one, but apps are fucking lootly. Not everyone wants to chug back 440 of a 13% Imperial Stout or needs enough of it in the can to fill the Tommy Tippy Beaker they're using as a glass this week on the Instas. Some people just want to sip and enjoy beer. And then the final comment this week is from Mark Johnson, who simply says, smaller beers in bigger bottles, please. <laughs> to the point then thank you very much mark <laughs> yeah well, well thanks to everyone um for inputting on that one there were um quite a lot of, of comments and as usual we've only selected a, a cross section to talk about there i i think martin our views are quite well known on this so i don't think we need to to go over what we think again on this but i'm i'm very interested to get robert's view on this and in, and in particular the um, decision because you've only recently started putting um, your beers into cans, but you have a, a mixture of three thirties and and four forties. Was was that uh, an easy decision to make, or was 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 it one that you kind of thought about for a long time? Why did you go down that route? It's very interesting, isn't it? Cans, uh, you know, we wouldn't have been talking about cans five years ago. You know, we. It, it was bottled. Uh, then, you know, the 440, 500, 330, how different styles are, what strength of beer is. It's an extremely complex minefield. Uh, you've got the simplest of terms. Certain breweries are just, it, it's a marketing thing, yes, effectively. We have a bigger uh, area to present a nice picture. It tells a story about a beer and people will buy beer by looking at the picture, and then they drink it. If you, you could be cynical and say you put it in a 440, and somebody's just going to try that beer, well, if it was in a 330, you'd be selling a lot less beer. Uh, if you only produce your beers in 440, and that's all you do, and people are buying a lot of your beer, then you're going to sell a lot more beer. Uh, how did we approach it? Uh, I probably wouldn't have gone down the 440 route, especially if you're producing beers that have a bit of strength in them. I think if you're going down the strength argument, then 330 wins every single time. I don't think there's any... Uh, there's, yeah, unless you just want to go and get very drunk, or maybe the other person says, I'm just going to have one can a night, and that 440 does me. Well, they're not a friend of mine, I tend to drink more than one can a night, regardless of whether it's 330 or 440. So that argument doesn't work for me. But I can see those small ones. But basically, if you have a stronger beer, it's 330 every time. Now, we're going to contradict that. Our next beer over 600% is in a 440. Why? Well, you know, then you go into the next argument, which is uh, larger retailers. We can swear and call them supermarkets. And we happen to have up to three, maybe four products that are in supermarkets. And that is part of our growth. That's part of us growing. That's part of us getting our product out there. 
That's part of us increasing our sales and part of us being able to provide jobs for people and grow their careers. And without diversifying in revenue streams, be that through a bar, be it through export, be it through a larger retail like a supermarket, a small independent local shops or direct people through internet sales, then we don't grow in the same way, especially in such a competitive marketplace. We have to pursue every revenue stream that's available to us if we're going to continue to grow in the way in which we want to support our employees. And to do that, we went into supermarkets and supermarkets are taking free 30s from us. And I know that there is a move in quite a number of supermarkets now to be looking at 440s, but it's not necessarily the dominant uh, size that is there. That certainly isn't yet. And for me, it also precludes quite a number of customers because they are sold at a higher uh, you know, price point as opposed to 330. And you know, that means, and then the beer is for an everyday person to drink, and that's what it should be, and it should be accessible. So we had a a supermarket where we, we had to put 330s into. We then have a local bottle shop base that supported us since the very beginning that wants 330s, which in a way was quite surprised because we asked a lot of other uh, independent bottle shops and uh, in retailers what they wanted. And they said, well, you know, we'll sell the majority of 440s. So then we were caught between a rock and a hard place. We were caught between having the support, not having wanting, support the people that supported us locally and they wanted 330s. Then we had the wider distribution network throughout Scotland that wanted 440s and down into our, uh, what shall we call it, our internal export market, England, etc. And uh, they want 440. So we were, we wanted to also differentiate between the supermarket products as well. Uh, and whilst we are still doing a small amount of 440s if the product goes into supermarkets, the majority of the 440 products is beer that is not in a supermarket. So that means that we can, in a way, get around the argument that, uh, that a, a small independent bottle shop would have and say, well, we can't really compete with uh, the supermarket. Yeah, we know that. And, uh, but we still want to support, they still want to support us and we still want to support them. So we are saying that you know things like we're not all in this together, darkness inside, uh, our, our blackberry and cherry season that's about to come out, our Keller pills that's about to come out, our, our black, uh, our black, you know, what that black pills that's coming out as well. It's a, a low ABV, 2.8%. These things, these specials will just appear in 440s. And they'll go in, they'll go into like the independence relay and on your web shop, that kind of thing. Yeah, so they go that. Now, the 330s are still going to be available on our web shop. There will be 440s occasionally of the core brands because some of the independents want that, yes. Uh, but we did want to create a distinct differentiation. So if an independent said, I'm not going to stock the beer that's in the supermarket, that's their choice. Uh, and I only want to stock beers that are not there. So we've got a clear differentiation point between that, yes. And so that was our thinking. So that's how we've ended up with 330 and 440. I think if it was, if I was ignoring external market forces, I would just be packing the 330s. If it's a strong beer, it's 330. If it's a pilsner that you want to be cold, you want to, you know, why should it be in a 440? It's going to get warm. You know, so the, the, there's arguments that uh, 
realistically, 330 is the best package in the race. Uh, having said that, you know, you've just drank the all not and this together to 440. It seems to suit the package and it seems to drink right like that. You know, it's, uh, it's certain things evolve and that's just because I suppose you've been forced into drinking the majority of the type spears out of 440s. And uh, that's just sort of how your mind drinks it. It's really interesting uh, views there on the cans, but the one thing I want to come back to is, so I think your views about 330 versus 440 is quite clear, but the decision to move from bottle to cans, was that purely driven by the fact that you you had, you had moved so far, because of COVID, you moved away from selling draft beer into small pack and cans were a, a better alternative to bottles? It's a very difficult one. Uh, we, If you take Hot Classic, I would have it in a bottle every time. You've drank it from a can, which you've uh, decanted into a glass. And so in theory, there isn't any difference in that product. No, we do it in brown bottles. We have a, when we were doing it in bottle, we had a, a good bottle machine with good process. So it was, it was well packaged. Uh, it is also equally well packaged into a can. Uh, but... If you're talking about your heart and heart and your passion and being a brewer and brewing a Belgian style, that product shouldn't be in a can, it should be in a bottle. But we live in the UK where the consumer is now demanding can. Bottom line, that is what they want. That is what they will buy. We have a perfect example, whereas we just obviously delisted all our bottles and the supermarkets, and we can do that because we get the data, and it's very instant data, yes? and we put it in the can. The product hasn't changed, but yet for some reason we sell more of it. What's that about? Because it's in a can. It's, uh, it, it's what the consumer wants. There are a lot of other arguments, you know, cans are empty more recyclable than glass. Uh, it means that we you know, well, I mean, the good thing is now you can stack two 330 cans on top of each other in the same space you could fit that one bottle in the fridge, which is my, my personal favourite. Uh, but, you know, they're lighter. They're more recyclable. I think it's interesting that, in my head, the first two beers I'm picturing in bottles as a wheat beer and uh, the Belgium hop. But if you, tell, if you sent me a bottle, of the New England, a bottle of the New England IPO, I'd be going, what are you doing? Yeah, because I've grown up with the first two styles originating in the bottle, not just through yourselves, through my own trips to Belgium and other breweries doing that kind of beer. Whereas the New England IPA sits firmly in a can. The yeah. style turned up when we were already used to cans. And, 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 we, uh, and we first put a New England IPA into bottle and it didn't seem right, you know. And uh, I was, you know, I was convinced that I could put hot plastic into a can when Burning Sky put one of theirs into a can. I thought, ah, it's okay now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's, uh, ah, it's, you know, if you put your heart and heart, you know, I want to put that first two into bottle. But heart and heart, I need to run a business. I, you know, I, I love my product, and. But at the same time, we also need to be ecological, we need to be economical, and we need to provide opportunity. I think future generations will care less than we do. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to admit that 
I was I was a little bit sad when I first heard that that, that your beer is moving into cans because I, I have to say that I think that your old bottles were very very distinctive in in terms because you didn't just go for the standard 330 mil bottle you went for that really elegant long necked bottle and 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 they did really stand out and and you could instantly see a six degrees north beer on on a shelf in in, in a shop yeah however your artwork has translated perfectly to your cans and i think that they are still distinctively six degrees north in in their appearance the only thing that's changed is the vessel and and certainly from having had certainly the op, the hot classic in both bottle and can the beer still tastes great I, I was convinced i was going to struggle to drink hot classic out of can i thought i destroyed my life and uh, <laughs> and you know, destroyed his life <laughs> yeah. I, I, and to be fair it, it, it's perfectly accepted it's more than acceptable. It's still the same bloody product. It just happens to come out of a can, you know. And ultimately, you're going to pour it into a glass, or you should do yes. You know, there's no reason not to drink beer. Not all this together. Keep it new uh, IP out of the tin. That's fine. But go on, don't drink the hot glass out of the tin. Please put it in a glass. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a real message there. I mean, I, I mean, I've finished the 440 Kavik New England IPA. Same and- here. Yeah. Generally, that sort of style, especially when you mentioned while we were talking about it, some other ones coming up, and you mentioned a triple IPA, and I'm going, damn, we should have waited. Um, <laughs> but that was was easy to drink. Generally, I get halfway through a 440 of a New England IPA, and I'm often getting it's too sweet, too cloying, it's just too much. I, I'm dying to share a 440 New England IPA often, but more than happy drinking that, that one on its own by myself. No, thank you very much. And I say it's all our beers should be about balance, and that's how we try and design. And uh, you know, it shouldn't just be about big, full-on pop, wild, sweet, whatever you want to call it. With you know, with with something you can stand a fork and knife up in. You know, you really should be able to drink it. Should be, yeah. That's what we drink beer for. We drink beer to drink it. You know, if we if we wanted to. Uh, We'd be drinking whiskey if we were just sipping stuff. Although that being said, this next beer is probably what you would consider a, a, a bit of a sipper, maybe. I mean, it's six and a half percent stout darkness inside. This is a, a fairly new addition to your range, I, I, I believe. Yes, uh, we. Uh, I think uh, when we were chatting off air earlier, we were talking about stouts and Belgian stouts and. Uh, I was doing my, my travelling around Belgium. I was riding the motorbike and uh, turned up uh, Delsworth Brewery, uh, where they produce Hercule. And uh, oh, I love that beer! Love that turned beer. Out there, there was nobody around. Couldn't find anybody. Wandered through the whole brewery, tramping over hoses up the steps, having a look round in our serving room round there, and then eventually sneaked to a fridge and left some euros just sitting on top of the desk and took some uh, took some beer away. And uh, what a cracking beer it is. You know, it's over 8%. It's smooth, easy to drink, and just gorgeous. And, uh, you know, and there's not many stouts in Belgium. Uh, there's quite a lot of scotches, which was, you know, was a, that was, again, a hangover from uh, when they were over helping them out during the wars. And, uh, you know, and until recently, uh, you know, we used to brew scotch in, in Scotland and send it over to, to Belgium. And you couldn't buy it here, you could only buy it in Belgium. And Gordon Scotch used to be actually 
physically brewed in Scotland. Uh, but John Martins have since bought that and then brewed over in Belgium now. But uh, so we were brewing a typical dark beer for the Belgians, but there wasn't really a stout, you know, a scotch is a, a lot bigger, sweeter, more caramelly type base. And whereas Hercule stouts are smooth, easy, beautiful to drink beer. And we produced something called Chopper Stout originally, uh, which would have been a lot closer to Hercule. And this was back in 20, you know, 2012, 2013, there thereabouts. And, you know, we had bars and we had a huge rugby Rugby club and drinkers and historic people who loved the rugby, the rugby, the TV six stations there, they'd come in and they'd want a Guinness. They want a Guinness, they want a Guinness, and that gets a bit frustrating after a while. Why don't you try our stout? No, 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 it's too bloody strong, not drinking that stuff. So eventually we reduced the ABV of a chopper and we took it down to, you know, early 4%, still a food base stout. Nothing too exciting, but was accessible to everyday drinkers, if you like. It was enjoyed. We had a good customer base from it. In fact, we've just delisted Chopper Stout in the last week or two. And, you know, when when big stouts weren't in vogue, we brewed a big chopper. So we moved to brew into a, a lighter, more accessible product. Now everybody wants to drink big, dark stouts again. And if they want to drink it, they want to drink it at a higher ABV with a little bit more in the background of it. So now... We're hopefully catching up with a ping pong game again. And uh, we've taken Chopper out. So it wasn't at four percent it wasn't really on heart and heart the beer that we really, really wanted to produce. And uh, the, the old, I'd say the old big chopper, he was he was, he was good. But uh, so we've moved on. We've now got uh, ducks inside. It's uh, based around quite a number of beers and people's types and stuff that we've brewed over the years. And uh, you know, we've taken a lot of the methods that we use from that. And a lot of the malt bills and things that we've developed over those years to produce ducks and stuff. Now, it doesn't have cocoa in it, it doesn't have any blooming coconut, it doesn't have any chocolate, it doesn't have any biscuits or bananas or anything like that in it. It's just a good old stout, you know. It should be smooth, it should be robust, it should have a reasonable body to it, it should have you know, a reasonably you know, dark, sort of toasty bitterness towards the end, but still smooth still accessible, still drinkable, and it shouldn't really reflect the 65 6.6%. It should be quite easy to drink. Uh, now, it's a great product. You know, things like uh, you know, some of the dark malts are just put into the spars, they're not in the mash, things like that, uh, using you know, de-husked uh, burnt malts and that sort of stuff, things from Wyoming, various different things, DRCs and all that sort of stuff. Really quite a complex malt bill almost the total opposite of what classic is, and uh, but really trying to build that up in a layered fashion that gives us something smooth and, you know, inaccessible and quite Moorish for a stout bill. It's not imperial. It's not up 9, 10, 11%. It's delicious. I can definitely see um, the nod to the Hercule Stout. There is definitely a, a bit like you said, the Hop Classic was a nod to XX Bitter. I can definitely feel the Hercule Stout. It is, uh, it's got lots going on. It's, I mean, it looked lovely in the glass when we first poured it as well. You know, creamy head, slightly darker than you might expect. It's probably, from the way you described it, it almost feels like it's the more complex beer to make and almost tastes the simpler. Yes, very much. And But, but you know, to get a, a stout to taste simple and together, 
can sometimes be difficult for people, you know, because they're just used to the dark point molds too much and they're just not really blending things off and rounding the edges off too, uh, too well. Uh, you know, especially if you're on a homebrew sense and when you first start brewing that scent, you, you, you're, you're liable to throw too much at it. Yes, whereas uh, you know, a little bit of a, a soft touch with this goes a long, long, long way. Yeah, I think it's also, we've actually got a blend of three yeasts in it as well. So it's a blend between a house yeast, a Quebec, and uh, a big uh, dark Belgian strong yeast as well. Uh, so it really it allows allows us to get the fermentation going and allows it to complete very properly, if you like, and, uh, which gives a, a good bit of predictability around it, but also you know, adds a wee bit of complexity. I'd, I'd have to agree with what mine said. I mean, it is, it is really delicious. Um, it is soft and smooth, and then about halfway through, you start to get some of the very light roasted notes they're not overpowering in in any way and and, and it finishes it, it finishes velvety smooth but at the same time it's almost got like a dark chocolate bitterness to it going on and, and just just a subtle hint of sweetness on the finish it's again it's so well balanced um in terms of all those flavors and ingredients just playing so nicely together it makes it incredibly moorish and and again, this is one of those that it's 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 in a four forty can and it's six and a half percent. This is this is dangerous. It is very very dangerous, Steve. And oh, it's actually. I mean, the beers have been different as well. The four beers that have been presented to us tonight. So again, first of all, thank you very much again, Robert, for sending them through to us. And they are very different. And despite everything Steve and I have said about three thirties versus four forties. I'm sitting here sipping this. The evening's getting a little bit darker, and I'm thinking, "Well, oh, why didn't you put this in a 500 now?" Yeah, goodness I, sake! I wouldn't. I wouldn't have wanted this in a 330. I would have been very, <laughs> very upset with, with this in a 330 because I want this amount of it. That's that. That's the thing, and it's it's so difficult, isn't it? Because you just you never know what you're going to get, and 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 therefore you never know how much of it you're going to want. Yeah, it's it's it is wonderfully smooth, and again, the the carbonation, the conditioning that's coming out from the can is really good. And that's what I'm really enjoying. It's not, I know you said you don't force it anyway, but it doesn't feel no. forced. And and it's not, you know, it, it, it has to be packed. It has to be smooth. Yeah. I mean, the all the beers tonight, the carbonation levels will be ever slightly different, and that's to suit the style of the product. You know, the wonder is going to be slightly higher. Top classic. It's probably going to be close to one list, if not slightly higher, because it's got you know, it's got really tight CO two bubbles generated from that yeast, and it's just beautiful to dance off the tongue. Whereas you know the the New England IPA and the stout there both can have slightly lower uh, carbonation levels because you know there's more in that uh, product to allow that to carry through and give you that mouthfeel without just having the CO two. And if you have a larger amount of CO two, it tends to it detracts from the flavours and the, the mouthfeel and the experience that you're, you're going through with the product. And I think what I like to do when we do a tasting like this is I like to ensure that we've got you know, a wide range of beers and we almost drink it like we were going through the day. You know, So we start with Wanderlust for lunch and then we're, you know, we're, we're, we're just sitting down after dinner just enjoying a, a classic, hot classic there, just you know, really refined, really, really enjoyed the stuff. 
then we're moving on a bit of conversation and we, we have we have our we're not only together new the IPA, you know, a bit of throwaway, a bit of fun. And then the end of the night we're sitting down having that one last uh, glass of whiskey or or a glass of wine or in this case darkness inside a nice round stout. And as you say, three thirty of it would probably have just not been enough. I, I love that analogy that, that that you've just presented us there of uh, of taking us through a day's worth of drinking and 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 you're right each of those beers matches that occasion uh, that matches that part of the day that, that that you're at and 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 that's that that's fantastic in in terms of, I mean this is only really a snapshot of the the, the range of styles that, that that you produce as as a brewery as well now at, at this point we would normally say say to a, a brewery particularly when they're a guest what are your plans for the future what's next for your brewery but i know recently you've had to make quite a tough decision haven't you in terms of of, of six degrees north and you, you've actually downsized your operation haven't you we have done i mean obviously the last uh, 15 months has been difficult for everybody out there uh, in Whatever you say, there are some you know, features and off licenses seem to have boomed, but uh, there are a lot of uh, industries out there, more than just hospitality, that have found it very, very hard in uh, the last sort of uh, 15 months or so. And it does give you a lot of time to reflect on what is important. And, uh, you know, growing our business and going through the journey and producing the beers that we loved and employing the people and creating opportunity. And, you know, constantly challenging yourself to, to move forward has been exciting. It has been lots of fun. And, but, you know, the, the whole industry has changed. You know, when we started brewing, I can't remember exactly what it was, but, but I don't know when it was, but how many breweries were. But say there was maybe 40 breweries, maybe 50 breweries in Scotland at that point, you know. And there's, you know, there was four or five times that. And it would be the same if we were in England and uh, or in the UK as a whole, you know, and it's an extremely competitive market. And during the last months, we focused solely on our, say domestic, but I really mean our, our direct local market. And it's really been rewarding. Very, very challenging. So we've had to adapt and you know, customers have been you know, few, few and far between as it comes to volumes and that you would have done previously. Uh, but it, it makes you think you reinvent what you do in that period of time and you see there is a way forward and you see the rewards from from what's there. You see what's important, you see what staff are important, you see what part of the business is important. And dare I say it, you know, I'm 10 years further on from when we started the brewery now. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a a young or an old 30, early 40s person and, I, and I'm moving into my 50s and... Uh, life does change your aspirations and your goals change and what you want from life and what people around you want and uh, i think our decision to effectively close two of our bars uh, one which to be fair just wasn't really performing for us it uh, was just in you know in the wrong place and it was a uh, really you know it was quite a, a heavy burden for the rest of the company to to have to carry and uh, that was taking opportunity away for people that were there when we were having to support it. Uh, we're fortunate enough that in our Glasgow outlet that the, the new tenants are going to continue to buy our beer. Uh, they're going to put six lines on, so we're still being able to champion our product in Glasgow in a draft sense there. 
they still have Arvin Barber, still have Gundy Barber. You know, they're you know, they're, they're within well, a lot less than an hour's drive from where we are at the brewery, and uh, we, we we still see that as being you know very local to what we do. It's always been very important for us to support that. We have our beer festival here. We have our local market. We have our brewery. We have the people we employ there. We love producing the products that we do. We love uh, reaching out to the people that enjoy them. And ultimately, you know, we really love running the Marine Hotel as well. We have six rooms. We have a restaurant. We have uh, a really good wet lead bar. And it's just a great environment for people to come and drink. It's lovely to see people enjoy it. I'm, I'm sure it's a decision that you didn't take lightly. Um, and and as, as you said there, you've you thought about all elements of the business and how they all work together. So in, in, in terms of the, the brewery side and the beer, what, what are the plans for, for the next year or so? Are there, are, are there new beers coming? Are there special beers coming? Is it just a consolidation of what you've got right now? I mean, on the brewery side, actually, I don't really see the huge difference from uh, the amount of beer we produce, the styles that we produce, the core range that's there. Okay, we've introduced the canning line during the lockdown. Uh, we've rebranded, we had the can line and we reduced uh, our footprint to within Scotland uh, a little. But ultimately, I don't think it will change the amount of beer that we produce. Uh, you know, we're, we're already seeing some good uplift from our rebranding and new products and the uh, and the change of vessel, if you like, uh, and you know even more so the fact that we are you know we're producing more diverse range that appeals to a broader customer base, and uh, there we say things like you know New England IPAs, big dark stouts, and uh, a, a blackberry cherry saison uh, appeals to a lot of what your listeners will do as well, you know. So it's uh, it's about you know we, we have a very local base of people who will drink Kelton day in, day out, that will drink that wonder last week, day in, day out. But, you know, as I've said before, the, the strength of the brewery in the future will be having many different customers and different streams from that perspective and producing the new products that we're going to do in the future. I said that, you know, Bat Chase on, Black IPA, uh, a lovely, you know, sort of very gently I hopped uh, Motec, the pills we're going to put, Keller pills we're going to put out shortly. Uh, you know, the Darts Society is just off the shelf. We're about to do the, the fourth iteration of our Cubic IPA. Uh, we've got a triple IPA in tank just now. Uh, I think a Flemish Red was just released a short time ago, things like that. So there's many, many different things in the pipeline. And what we're trying to ensure that we also embrace is we, you know, we give our employee base the opportunity now that we're not so strict on our style that we're not saying that we have to do a Wonderlust or a Saison or a Belgian IPA that we uh, we have the ability for people to be more creative within that environment as well. And so that allows greater opportunity for different style diversification and uh, you know, just experimenting, having fun. It's it's great to hear that you're still focusing on those great beers and that you, you are still 
experimenting with styles as well because i i recently had the the flemish red that that you put out and 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 that was stunning and that's that it made me chuckle a little bit right at the beginning of the show when you said about your your first experience of road and back and then i was sitting there thinking hang on a minute you've just put out a flemish red um so you must have you must have come a long way on 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 that journey but yeah it's 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 fantastic to hear and and what we'll do is we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to where people can can buy some of your beers to try and them for yourselves we are very very grateful for for you joining us uh this week and sharing your story with us it's been absolutely fantastic and and we do encourage our listeners to continue to get involved use the hashtag opinions and you can share your views um martin what's coming up on the next show me you beer excellent that sounds like a winning combination does that doesn't it that's Um, all that's going on mate that's it (laughs) i've i've still got a little bit of the darkness inside in 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 my glass any final thoughts on 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 this beer other than that it's just utterly delicious the order we've done them in has been really quite interesting actually uh going from the very light lemony wheat to maybe a little bit more the the belgium the belgium and the hop then the bit of a departure the kavik new england and then finishing on this which actually you could mistake as being more of a beast of stout, given the uh, lineage to the Hercule stout, which is at 9%. Um, but the stout itself, it's very pleasing, very easy to drink. It is that end of evening option versus sipping a, a single malt or something. So no, mm. it's brilliant. And again, thank you very much for sending them through. Yeah, we're, we're, we're very appreciative of that, Robert. Thank you ever so much. And I think, really, all that's left to say this week is cheers. 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 cheers.